Rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Inside the Gamecocks podcast, J.C. Sherbert here with you. Tuesday, December 8th, the Shane Beamer era has begun at South Carolina. Um, announced over the weekend or broke over the weekend. Uh, announced Sunday, I think, with a press conference yesterday. Uh, just a very good press conference. People talk about winning the press conference. I think Shane Beamer definitely did that. Um a lot of people, a lot of you out there on the message board, on Twitter, social media and all, it's, uh, you know, it, it's been um, kind of positive to see people excited about Gamecock football again. I think that the last five or six years have been rough, uh, starting with probably the Texas A&M game in 2014 and then a gradual decline uh, with some moments of, of, of solid play and then finally a tailspin, uh, and the thing came crashing down uh, to a 6-16 six and 16 record the last two years. Um, and, and, and people that were down in the dumps, <clears throat> because that also transpired at the same time Clemson became a national power. Um, and, uh, you know, people were down in the dumps, and I think that for the first time in a long time, some people are excited again uh, and feel like Ray Tanner hired the right guy. Um, I know that uh, – I, I don't that um, I don't know that you know. I understand. I'm trying to find the right words here. I understand the people out there that were concerned about Beamer's head coaching experience. I get it. Um, I think though, at the end of the day, when you line everybody up and you think about the big picture, you know, Ray Tanner, Bob Caslin made the right choice for the job. Uh, not that Billy Napier and Scott Satterfield couldn't have done an excellent job at Carolina. Brian Johnson, rising star in coaching, I think would have been a good hire. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, I think Shane Beamer was the guy that was the, the right fit. And, you know, it's good to see good things happen to good people. I know Shane Beamer is a good person. I know Shane Beamer wanted this job. Uh, more than any other job in the country, including his alma mater, Virginia Tech. Uh, I think that uh, this is a place that's very special to his family. His children were born here, two of them. Uh, they had great years, he and Emily, uh, when they were coaching under Steve Spurrier from 07 to 2010. And he got to see kind of some of the pieces that were put in place for the Gamecocks to rise. You know, when he got there, they were a 6-6 six and six football team that were six in the country and lost five straight games. I didn't go to a bowl for the only time in the Spurrier era until the end. Uh, and then 08 was, was not much better. I kind of think that 08 team was worse than the 07 team. Uh, but he, he was instrumental in bringing in Ellis Johnson as a new defensive coordinator who obviously had some good years at Carolina. Um, Lorenzo Ward came on board in 2009. Uh, people can say what they want about his you know tenure as the D.C., but as far as recruiting goes and him being the defensive backs coach, you know, he was instrumental in Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Holloman, Jadevian Clowney, worked hand-in-hand hand with Ellis Johnson on that. He brought Jay Graham in, uh, you know, helped Spurrier with the intro because it's all about introductions and stuff like that in this business. Uh, he knew Jay, and Jay Graham obviously was instrumental in landing Marcus Lattimore, uh, which was – you know, Jay Graham was very important with Marcus because Robert Gillespie had left, you know, and, and then Graham was the guy that took over and kind of, you know, helped get, make that happen. Um, you know, after Eric Wolford left in 09, uh, Beamer helped with Sean Elliott, who came in and got the offensive line playing really well. They won a division title. Uh, and then he left and went back to Virginia Tech. But, but those years were good years. And, and those years, you know, part of the reason why – I've explained to people, and I said I wasn't going to endorse anybody, and I did not. But part of the reason why uh, I was trying to explain why he was in the mix is because a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff during the Spurrier era, you know, Spurrier didn't really have, I don't think, well, Ellis Johnson was the assistant head coach for defense, right? So he had the assistant head coach title. But some of the things that your assistant head coach does, like help you with staff and, you know, things like that, uh, 
you know, Shane Beamer was instrumental in, you know, and, and, and it was, it was Shane Beamer and Steve Spurrier Jr. And Lorenzo Ward and Ellis Johnson to a certain extent, you know, those were the guys that were helping Spurrier hire staff and, and getting people in and things like that. So, you know, I, 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 you know, you look at it and, um, you know, that's kind of the guy that was behind the scenes during the time that, you know, made a lot of sense, uh, had a good resume and certainly, is happy about being uh, at South Carolina. Uh, you know, we'll see what the staff looks like. Uh, there's a lot of different options and scenarios out there, including some of the guys on staff. Uh, you know, I, I, obviously there are some guys on staff that I could definitely stand on the table for. I've said Bobby Bentley. Uh, I think that, that that's a no-brainer to keep him. Uh, you know, the guys on defense, Rod Wilson, Mike Peterson. You know, uh, they're talking about Jay Graham coming back. Uh, can, is there a way you can keep Des Kitchings and Jay Graham? I mean, you know, th- there's just a lot of questions with the, the current guys. And then outside of that, you know, I could probably make a list of 35 different assistant coaches that have been connected with potentially coming to South Carolina, uh, familiar names and unfamiliar names. But uh, I'm not going to get into those uh, and list 35 guys because I didn't, you know, just like with the coaching search, you don't want to list 30 different coaches. And then whoever gets hired, you know, there's going to be 10 people out there that, that want a coach that was on the list of 30 that uh, that guy had no interest or it was just a brief phone call to an agent or something, but he's on the list and you're like, well, we could have had him. And then it all comes down to, you know, Ray getting, you know, undeserved criticism, Ray Tanner uh, and all that good stuff. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, that's uh, – that's one of those things. You know, the team, bad game against Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky's all that great. Um, it was kind of a, a mistake-filled night offensively. I thought that uh, the defense, again, I mean, the guys are playing hard, but they're just decimated. I mean, 41 to 18. And, you know, second half, Cox gave them a fight. But, you know, that first half was pretty ugly. Uh, and Kentucky ended up winning the six out of the seven games. Gamecocks fall to two and eight, which is an ugly record. And um, they may be two and nine or three and eight because it looks like Carolina is going to accept a bowl game if, uh, you know, if one comes. And it looks like it is. The latest projection today from Brett McMurphy on stadium was Carolina in the Birmingham Bowl. I know all of you love to hear that against Tulsa on New Year's Day. Uh, I, I think logistically, you know, because they're talking about the Birmingham Bowl and they're also talking about the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa. Gasparilla is December 26th, the day after Christmas, and, and they'd probably fly in on Christmas or something like that. I think you may have some opt-outs, you know, whether, you know, whereas, you know, the week after Christmas, nobody's really doing anything anyway. <laughs> uh, family-wise, you know, I think you get the players back after a Christmas break and, by that point, Beamer should be in town and get to observe practice and, and all that good stuff. And so, uh, you know, uh, from that standpoint, you know, I think it could be beneficial, uh, as Shane said in the press conference, you know. And, and I've heard, you know, Gamecocks aren't in a position to turn down a bowl berth. I mean, if, if they can get into a bowl game this year, you know, go at it, even if it's with the skeleton crew and, uh, you know, not a lot of uh, – you know, not a lot of players or, you know, because they don't have a lot of players or whatever. So that's that's kind of the deal there with the bowl. Um, you know, congratulations to Kevin Harris uh, with an outstanding game against Kentucky. If you'd have told me he'd have run for 210, I'd have said it would have been a lot closer than it was, but it wasn't. Um, you know, I, I thought Kai Kroger uh, was pretty good on that uh, fake punt. And I thought DeCarry and Joyner, you know, that, that's the first game I think we've seen Joyner make like multiple plays. He had a touchdown. He had the fake punt uh, reception. And then he had a big 52-year-old, 52-year-old. Ah, being Todd Ellis here. He's down to the 23 years old. 52-yard kickoff return in the ball game. So, you know, hats off to Joyner, man. I mean, it's been a rough year for him. I mean, this guy is a really good athlete. He's used to making plays. Um you know, it's taken him a while to transition to receiver. I still don't know that he's a receiver. I think you got to find a spot for him. And, you know, one of my friends coaches at the 1AA level or FCS level and 
he has guys in his system, his spread system, and he calls them ponies. Uh, and they're kind of your running back uh, hybrid guys. You know, they're kind of what Jemias Williams and A.J. Turner should have been if, if you get right down to it. Joyner could be that type of guy. I think this kid they have coming in, Caleb McDowell, uh, the running back from Georgia, kind of a smaller, faster, shiftier guy could be that guy. Jeff Demps and Chris Rainey uh, when they were at Florida, that type of guy. Um, you know, so may, maybe the pony situation. I mean, and, and look, Debo Samuel could have been that too. Um, you know, they do the jet sweeps. You hand it to them from scrimmage. You just use them in a lot of different ways to get the ball in their hand. That may be what Joyner is, is a guy that's more, you know, uh, from scrimmage type of guy, I, I guess. that That's the deal there. So, congratulations to the carry Joyner for a good game and, and for finishing out the right way. Nick Muse continues to do well, uh, I think. So, you know, there are some bright spots. Luke Doty probably didn't have his best game. Uh, he kind of looked – a little bit, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say lost, but, uh, you know, like he has a ways to go, and he probably does. But, um, you know, the guys are fighting hard. Mike Bobo, uh, you know, that's <laughs> a tough situation for him. It's not like when Sean Elliott took over for Spurrier and, and there was almost like a sense of release. There's six games left, you know, and, and those guys were, you know, coming off. They, they were part of a program that had been winning, you know, and they were used to winning and they knew how to at least compete to win. Uh, and look, he still, they still lost to Citadel, which was a disaster, but every other game was close and they beat Vandy. Um, you know, and, and I think that it was a different scenario here. You know, Bobo took over a team that was getting its brains beat in um, every week, you know, for three straight weeks, especially on defense. And, you know, Mike Bobo is an offensive coach. I don't know how he's supposed to fix the defense and it hadn't. But, um, you know, hats off to him, you know, for sticking with it and, you know, caring about the players and, and caring about the situation he's in, regardless of how you feel about Kyle. I mean, people want to pin Colin Hill on Mike Bobo and all that. And, you know, there's a lot of different opinions on that. And I have, I'm not going to talk about that anymore. I just uh, – you guys know that I, I think the quarterback situation at South Carolina has been handled uh, as best as it could be this season. Um, and but people pin that on Bobo as far as what kind of offensive coordinator he is. I mean, the guy uh, has proven through time that he's really, really good at it. And quite frankly, he's he's running stuff now that, that puts the team in the best position to win. I mean, I thought Saturday night was more about mistakes and execution, and a, again, a terrible defense. So that's just kind of the deal there. Um, so yeah, I, I'm. Uh, as far as the Beamer hire goes, I, I couldn't be happier for him. I've known him for 13 years. You know, he's a guy that's, uh, you know, always been in touch, you know, no matter Virginia Tech, South Carolina, Georgia, Oklahoma, uh, wherever he's been. Um, can't say enough good about his family uh, and, and the character that he brings to the table. And, and I'll say this. I, I think that a lot of times at the University of South Carolina over the years, because you know, with the exception of Joe Morrison, most coaches that have achieved things, and, and I'll go back to Bobby Richardson, too, in baseball. Bobby Richardson, June Reigns in baseball, okay? Most coaches, and Bobby Richardson was, a, was an outstanding major league player, so, you know, it's not like he came in with no credibility or anything. But with the exception of Bobby Richardson, June Reigns in baseball, and Joe Morrison in football, who came from New Mexico, you know, Carolina, the, the coaches that have been successful um, have have all been, you know, guys that did something somewhere else, somewhere. You know, what little success they're, you know, the modest success they've had. Steve Spurrier, you know, Lou Holtz, uh, you know, not Joe Morrison, Jim Carlin, uh, you know, in basketball, Frank McGuire, obviously. Uh, George Felton, you could pro I'll probably say George Felton. Uh, would be in that mix of a guy that didn't really do it. I mean, he was an assistant at Georgia Tech before he, you know, won 87 games, lost 62, and, and got fired for reasons other than winning and losing. But, um, you know, Eddie Fogler was at Vandy, coach of the year. Frank Martin, um, you know, obviously had a run at Kansas State. If you want to include Dave Odom in successful hires, which you probably should, then um, 
Uh, I would say Wake Forest and what he did there. Ray Tanner obviously was at NC State and I think took them to the NCAA tournament quite a few times before he came and took over the baseball program. So I get it. Um, and, and I get that there's there's always been that kind of deal where people want to know that too. And and I and I and I'll say that, you know, is in all sports. Now I think in football specifically, what we've missed about that is the more with less. Um, yes, you know, Spurrier had a great run at Florida, but he also won at Duke, and Florida didn't win before he got there. Holtz, I've said it many times, Minnesota, William and Mary, NC State. You look at what he did at State, uh, 32 and 13. That's a great winning percentage for that program historically. Um, you know, you you kind of look on the other end, Brad Scott and Will Muschamp are two guys that have been at, you know, Florida State, Texas, Auburn, LSU. Florida, you know, only places like that for the most part, um, you know, and then Joe Morrison obviously was in New Mexico, but, but, you know, taking the more with less out of it and just looking at the flip side, you know, South Carolina finally has hired a guy. They can be their guy. It's a blank slate. You know, there, there's no tie, you know, and, and Muschamp could have been that guy, but obviously there was something no negatively on his slate that, that happened at Florida. And, you know, you kind of had to, to hope that things would be different. I think he tried to be different at South Carolina. I think there were some mistakes made there that, you know, probably from the start that, that maybe, you know, could have changed his, his, his outlook at Carolina. Uh, and, and quite frankly, his first 34 games were right on schedule. Now his last 24, not so much. And it's weird because the same thing happened at Florida where you know, he started 22 and nine and ended six and 12. So I, I don't know what, what happens, you know, with that, you know, you could say, well, you know, that's, that's the typical year four and five dip because of recruitment. I, you know, I, I don't know. Cause I, you look at the talent on the roster and it, it, it was better, you know, so I, I don't know, you know, must champs a different, We'll discuss that during the off season when we can really dig into it. But uh, you know, I, you, you look back um, at Carolina, and, and, and this is the first time they've really hired somebody in any sport, really, with the exception. Probably George Felton was the last guy that you look at and go, "This is this is the Gamecock. This is a guy that's you know going to come in here and and and, and be the Gamecock coach." And, and I think that's, that's outstanding. And there's something to be said for that. Uh, I say it all the time. You can look up the road. They won three national championships at Clemson. Uh, all three of them have been won by guys who are Clemson guys. Uh, they're Alabama graduates, but they're Clemson guys <laughs> uh, who were there, who know the place, who coveted the job, uh, who understood what it took to win at Clemson. And, Guys, Clemson is located in our state, and our state is very unique. Uh, God bless it. Uh, I love it more than anything, but it is very unique. We are a unique bunch of people, uh, and it's a unique state with a unique history and, and unique uh, attitudes, but, and, and those attitudes are always really good uh, and, and, and all that. It, it's just a different place. You know, a friend of mine told me one time, uh, South Carolinians are a lot of people from Louisiana with, without the accent. You know, we, we love it. This is our spot, but we know it better than anybody. Uh, to the outside, sometimes it's like, well, what's up with South Carolina? Uh, and, and so, yeah, Clemson's located there. They're, they're their own unique program, too, and it, and it worked for them. And, and I think that, you know, the same thing could be true with South Carolina. And I'm not comparing Shane Beamer, Beamer to Dabo, Beamo, <laughs> Shane Beamer to Dabo at all. Uh, they are both two different people as well. Uh, but I think when you're talking about, you know, winning at South Carolina, I, I think what you're going to see is some some decisions that are made that are related not only to putting together a great staff uh, by reputation or resume or, or whatever, you're going to see a great staff put together that makes sense for the University of South Carolina. Uh, you're going to see a guy that every decision that's made within the program is not only how to win and play winning football in the Southeastern Conference, but to do it at South Carolina. Um, 
he, he mentioned establishing the premier culture in all of college football. It's going to take a culture to win. And you look at any school, any school. Uh, and I'll use, uh, I'll, you know, we can use Clemson as an example all day, but uh, I'll use Alabama. You know, they've got their own unique culture that's been, you know, attempted to be replicated a lot. And, and there's some bits and pieces at some successful schools out there, but then there's some other schools that hadn't been so good at. Um, unique culture, you know, and, and you look at Ohio State. I, I think that one of the things Urban Meyer did there and built on what Jim Trestle had been doing is they have a long history with Trestle, Meyer, and now Ryan Day of establishing culture. You know, this is the way we do it at Ohio State. You know, I think that there are other programs out there uh, that maybe have lost their way in that regard. You know, I think Michigan, to a certain extent, you know, they're kind of in the wilderness right now a little bit. They've hired Michigan men. They've hired Rich Rodriguez. Nothing seems to work. Um, You know, I think Southern Cal uh, has kind of tried to continue to go with the culture Pete Carroll established uh, with a copy of a copy of a copy. With, with Clay Helton. And, you know, you have to understand out there too, though, Clay Helton and Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian are all different people from Pete Carroll um, with different ideas and stuff like that. Um, I'll give you an, I'll flip it back around to, to where I'm going to, I'm going to be looking for a positive culture establishment at, at Ole Miss in Arkansas. Uh, I think those two first year coaches have done an excellent job in that category. And dare I say, maybe Missouri too. Uh, it makes me kind of queasy to say that, not that I don't like Missouri or Eli Drinkwitz, but I didn't think that was a very good hire. And lo and behold, look at what they're doing. So, you know, you need to establish a culture and, and, and you need to rock and roll. And, and look, again, people want to know what I mean by culture. All right, so I'll go back to Missouri under Gary Pinkle. What were they? Well, they always were good on the defensive line with guys that, you know, and he did. They did this in the Big Twelve too, with, with guys that, you know, maybe didn't have five stars between them, and they develop them. They always had an explosive offense. You know, they always had a cutting edge scheme on the offensive side of the ball, um, and that's kind of just who they were. Good quarterbacks. You know, that, that's kind of who Missouri has been over the years, um, and and that was the most successful period in the history of their program. You know, and and so. You know, you kind of look at it like that. You know, what 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 fits, and you know, what is the DNA at South Carolina? I think that the DNA at South Carolina uh, is starts on the defensive side of the football. Uh, South Carolina's never been good without a good defense. You know, no matter how good the offense has been over the years. Uh, you think about the 1995 season, record-setting season offensively, four six and one was the record. They couldn't stop anybody. Uh, 2014. That offense was probably Spurrier's best offense at South Carolina with Dylan Thompson and those guys record-setting offense. Couldn't stop anybody, and it cost them the division in three different games. So, you know, I think you got to start with it on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, that needs to be repaired quickly. Um, I, I don't know that in college football we're ever going back to the days where, you know, you can beat people 20-3. to three. Uh, Maybe you can in certain – not saying there'll never be a game like that, but – um, you know, I, I think you're still going to have to put points on the board, and that's the name of the game these days. Uh, but I do think South Carolina, first and foremost, Shane Beamer needs to hire a great defensive coordinator that's going to at least put up a big fight. And when I say big fight, be very, very aggressive. And that's, you know, th- that's kind of what I think about in terms of, you know, the specifics. Because people, people, you know, you talk about culture and love for each other and trust, and those are really kind of internal locker room things, right? And, oh, that he, he loves the Gamecocks or whatever. Well, that's, that's a nice thing, you know, to talk about during a press conference and, you know, for that passion to bleed over in recruiting and things like that. But, but what are, what are you going to do? Well, he, he was asking about Beamer ball. And this is what Beamer ball is. Everybody thinks it's blocking kicks, and, and that's part of it. But it's, it's aggressiveness. Uh, and, and Virginia Tech, uh, and Shane's the same way as his dad. You know, Virginia Tech, when Frank Beamer was there, they had it rolling. Uh, and really, out of the later, they were they were anything if they weren't aggressive. And that's special teams coming after guys. That's defensively with what Bud Foster was doing. 
that's offensively with, with some of the things they did on offense, you know, very versatile attack that starts with trying to run it down your throat, but then is very creative to, to get the ball in the hands of their playmakers. And, you know, I'm not saying the scheme's going to look like Bud Foster's or, or Brian Stein Springs or you know, whoever was up there at Virginia Tech working for Shane's dad, but it's the mindset, it's the aggressiveness. And, and honestly, that's what we thought with Muschamp. Um, you think about his opening day press conference and you were like, well, this guy's about ready to roll, you know, offense, defense. And, and, and it, it never really was what I would call aggressive. I thought that, you know, Brian McClendon's offense was aggressive for a while. Uh, I think Mike Bobo's offense this year, you couldn't be, you know, you couldn't just be chunking it all over the yard because there weren't, well, got, there weren't the guys, you know, that they had to do what they had to do. And Kurt Roper's, honestly was a you know, inconsistent bill of goods you know his his offense was so I don't think they ever got there offensively and then defensively they certainly didn't you know I don't I don't I don't remember I remember very few times the Outback Bowl versus Michigan maybe the one time I saw that defense really just you know attack um and maybe I'm wrong about that I maybe 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 they did it out of necessity too but you know, I think the Gamecocks need to attack. You think back through history, and I love history, the 1984 team, offensively, defensively, they attacked. Spurrier's teams attacked. Now, maybe that attack, that mode of attack is running zone read or letting Connor Shaw sprint out and run for a first down or whatever, but, you know, there would come a point in the game, he he's going going downtown, you know, and, and that, that defense under Ellis Johnson and then, with Lorenzo Ward before Brad Lawing left, that was an aggressive defense. Very simple type of scheme. Didn't do anything fancy, but uh, they'd get after you. They'd get after you, you know. And I think when you talk about Beamer Ball, uh, you know, everybody thinks it's special teams, and I don't know that it'll be called Beamer Ball at South Carolina, but it starts with being aggressive in all phases and physical and, and things like that. So, I, you know, we'll see kind of what happens. Uh, as we move forward, but that's, that's the best way I can describe it. And I think that that should be exciting. Um, you know, cause I, I, I don't want to say the Gamecocks have been boring, but there, there's just been a lot of tension watching the Gamecocks the last few years. Maybe it's the Clemson thing, you know, maybe it's the style of play, you know, maybe it's, it's, it's the anxiety of going into a game thinking there's no shot for the first time in 20 years, you know, because you always under under Holtz and Spurrier, you always went into games thinking there's a shot. Even the sixty three to seventeen game, you know, with Carolina and Clemson in two thousand three, which nobody wants to remember, and I hate to bring it up, I think Carolina was a two point underdog or something, maybe six. I don't know, maybe maybe it was a little bigger because Clemson was rolling. Uh, you didn't go into that game expecting that. That's why everybody was so butthurt about it. So, you know, even even that. You know, even that, you know, was not, uh, hey, there's no shot. But you think some of these games this year, there's no shot. And you think back to the Clemson game last year, it was sad. I mean, that was the saddest Clemson Carolina game ever because, I, you know, there's a stadium full of Gamecocks and I don't think anybody was upset or, or anything. And it just wasn't competitive at all. And, uh, so, you know, so that, that's the deal there. But anyway, that's um, that's the take on Shane Beamer right now. I'm going to have a lot of information on the podcast and on the website. Uh, the Big Spur has been crawling with info, obviously. Uh, story broke Saturday night. We've been kind of all over it um, as far as uh, bringing you the truthful part of it. And, and I'll, I'll say this, Shane Beamer confirmed it. He was not offered the job and did not know that he was getting the job until Saturday night. Uh, and I have a great, 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 great source that told me that as of Saturday afternoon before Tanner called him, you know, he, he didn't know that he was definitely getting it, you know, and, and he was a little, you know, there were some anxious moments, you know, as far as the people that all the, the dozens of people that supported him for the job uh, and also, uh, you know, Shane himself. I mean, it, it was a thorough process. Ray Tanner, Bob Claslin, you know, interviewed Satterfield, Napier, and Brian Johnson. And look, I mean, I thought when the job was supposed to come open last November, Satterfield, Napier, Shane Beamer, uh, not, not necessarily in that order, 
those would be the guys. And lo and behold, those were the three guys, you know. And, and so I, I think the coaching search itself, uh, we'll see if the ultimate choice was correct. But the search itself turned out just like, you know, it should have. You know, there were no – there was no Tennessee-level debacle that took place. All right, mailbag questions. We're going to get into the mailbag. Inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. I haven't seen any tweets, but you can also tweet to at the Big Spur pod. Uh, Hudson, he emailed in during the game. He's like, what's up, JC? He's like, it's halftime and things aren't looking great. Yeah, it was 27-3. Uh, but the team still looks like they have fight in them, which I appreciate with the roster as decimated as it is. No question today. Just looking forward to the new ball coach coming in and picking these guys up and building something we can all be proud of. That's something that uh, Beamer talked about, building a program they can be proud of. Um, and, you know, that, that the, 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 I was trying to figure out where he got that from. Urban Meyer said that when he got to Ohio State. We can all be proud of. I think Spurrier said that many times, too. Uh, Joey Hunter's better than Israel McQuamu, in his opinion. Yeah, it, it, look, uh, I'm just not – no sugarcoating it. I mean, McQuamu did not have a good year. And he really hasn't had the type of career that screams draft pick. But the NFL's arrogant, and they'll take him and try to make something happen. And good for him. He can make money. Um, uh, here we go. All right. So, um, Robbie. Okay, so Robbie had some Napier and Satterfield questions, and then he called back up. Um. And he asked if, oh, Chadwell, Beamer had the had it in the bag. Um, you know, do you think it's because Nap- Napier's interview was less than stellar, so he issued a statement to save face? No, I, I think B- Napier just wasn't offered the job. I, I heard their interview went pretty well. There were some logistical things there um, that were kind of weird to overcome during the whole process with him. But, you know, I, I think, quite frankly, Shane Beamer wanted the job more. And uh, that that kind of showed. I mean, I, I don't I, I don't want to. Billy Napier is, is an outstanding coach, and he has a bright career, and he's always been a guy that I've thought had an it factor with a coach, with, uh, as far as being a coach. So I, I don't. I have nothing negative to say about him. I heard nothing negative about him during the process. You know, some people that wanted another coach were trying to throw him under the bus. I did not agree with that. Uh, and, and I won't, you know, but uh, I do think that, uh, you know, the, the, the brass, uh, I think after the Napier interview had their decision made. I don't know that it was made going in, but but I think that it was qu- so quick after that that, you know, in their mind, you know, the, the reports you read about Beamer being the leader, and I think we did report that on the Big Spur, Um were probably accurate. I felt it was 50-50 because I felt like, well, in a Napier interview, you know, he's an impressive guy. Anything could happen. But, um, you know, it was quickly Beamer after that. Dustin says, JC, your biggest fanboy here. Been listening to you for years. Spoke multiple times. First email for the podcast. My question about Beamer is simply this. Can he succeed with the level of talent in state compared when he was here the first time? I'm not so concerned with his lack of coaching experience. I'm more concerned with the Jimmys and Joes. Uh, thanks for all you do. We appreciate the heck out of you. Dustin, I, you know, I, here's the deal. You know, in the state of South Carolina, all right, we always talk, everybody talks about the, oh, you know, the great run of players. And, and look, man, there's no denying there were a great run. There was a great run of, of players you know, that, that came through the state that were like really good at, at critical positions like Marcus Lattimore and um, Alshon Jeffrey and Jade- we're never going to forget Jadevian Clowney, uh, obviously. Um, but, but, I, but I want to go back and, 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 and throw this out at you. Okay. Um, and I'll go to the, the 2016 draft. All right. So, Pharaoh Cooper was not an in-state guy. He's a North Carolina guy. Um, obviously, outstanding receiver out of Havelock, high three-star guy. You know, Brandon Shell was a four-star guy out of Goose Creek, but you know we see some Brandon Shells come through. Jarrell Adams, we see a Jarrell Adams come through. That's the 2016 draft. 
Uh, AJ Cam, we see AJ Cans come through uh, back to the 2015 draft. Now uh, the 2014 draft, we had Clowney, but then also Bruce Ellington. Uh, there's some Bruce Ellingtons that come through the state all the time. Um, in 2013, I'll go through here. Yes, Lattimore was the fourth-round guy, but South Carolina had seven guys drafted. You know, D.J. Swearinger was a second-round pick. Ace Sanders, a kid out of Florida that nobody wanted in Florida. They beat West Virginia on him, fourth round. Then you had Marcus. Devin Taylor, Shane Beamer beat Duke for him. In-state kid, there's there's Devin Taylor's in the state. Devontae Holloman was a move-in from North Carolina, originally out of Charlotte, but – there's Devontae Hollemans, T.J. Johnson. There's T.J. Johnson's, Justice Cunningham. There's Justice Cunningham's. I'll keep going, the 2012 draft. Stephon Gilmore, obviously an elite corner, but there are good corners that come out of this state just about every year. Melvin Ingram was a three-star kid from North Carolina. Um, I will say that it would probably be harder to find an Ingram and Clowney than any other position just because Melvin was so instinctive. All these other guys, and, and and Marcus, you know, of course, because Marcus is special. Uh, but all these other guys you, you can find in some years. I mean, Alshon obviously was his own guy, very unique guy. Uh, but there's some big receivers around the state. There's one playing at Virginia right now that everybody seemed to forget about, you know, uh, from the state. Uh, Rokevius Watkins was a JUCO kid from Georgia that they got. Antonio Allen, who – you know, as far as playmaking ability goes in 2011, man, he was he was playing at All-American level, uh, you know. And then Travian Robertson was a four-star big, you know, big-time D-line prospect out of North Carolina, which Carolina definitely needs to go start getting. So, so you look at those two drafts, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 12, 13. And that's not even counting like a Pat DeMarco who's still in the league, you know, who wasn't drafted, who's stuck. Uh, you look at those two drafts. Yeah, there's a lot of you know stuff. There's there's all there's Stephon Gilmore's and Jeffries and uh, Marcus Lattimore's that that are your highly rated guys. And you know I haven't seen a back come out since Marcus that was that good in the state. Um, you know I think Tavian Feaster would probably be the best one right now. Uh, you know you're not going to see a clowny because there's not clowny. You know there, there's. There's not going to be a clowning for a long time <laughs> uh, anywhere. Um, but you're going to find some D- guys, you know, DJ Swearinger is a great player and a mindset guy. You know, you can find guys like that. You know, DJ worked his butt off. You know, Melvin Ingram is going to be hard to find, but it's not like Carolina went on this, you know, recruiting crusade to land him. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, look, it's certainly helpful to have a clowning in your state or a Lattimore in your state and the publicity go- that goes with getting it. But those guys made a huge difference for Carolina, huge. But, you know, it's a team game, and, and people ask, well, can you can you recruit around it? Well, okay, so, so let's put it this. So, so you got Marcus Lattimore, right, in 2010 that really was the difference in you being seven and six and, and, and going to the Dome. Um, just honestly, look at the Florida game and Georgia game that year and the Alabama game, and that'll show you. He was a big difference maker. Um, but you have a running back right now that's difference maker uh, playing. And then you got another one that's that had the red shirt because of an injury that certainly has a bunch of talent. You know, with, with Clowney, yeah, okay, so you, you don't have the freak as a defensive end, but you got a guy that's a five-star guy that's a freshman this year that can that, that can be an elite pass rusher and that can be a guy that, that makes a difference at that position. All right, so you need wide receivers, obviously, but it wasn't all that difficult for Spurrier staff uh, to go land A. Sanders and Bruce Ellington and Nick Jones. Uh, Alshon was a recruiting crusade, but – you know, like I said, you, you could you could find guys that are good. Now, will they work as hard as Alshon and be as good at the end of the day? I don't know. You know, recruiting wise, it you know if you go and evaluate an Antonio Allen in Florida, I think they beat NC State on him. You know, so, so you sort of look back, and and even with the guys that Muschamp got, you know, Ken Law got a little dicey when he went to junior college, uh, but you know, Southern Alabama kind of came in. Brian Edwards was either come here or go to Clemson to play safety. 
DJ Wanham, they flip from Indiana. How good is Indiana's defensive coach? TJ Brunson, they flip from Louisville. You know, Debo Samuel was a Spurrier recruit, and I'll never forget hearing like, yep, you know, this Tyshawn Samuel kid may be pretty good. <laughs> Rashad Fenton was – Grady Brown got him as a backup after losing Mark Fields. And Sean Elliott placed Dennis Daly at a junior college. You know, Hayden Hurst was a walk-on. You know, and, and, and so look, man, I mean, you can get difference makers and, and you can have enough players without there being this load of in-state talent uh, in the state of South Carolina. And I'm probably going to push some of these mailbag questions to tomorrow just because I won't, I'm getting into the weeds here a little bit and I don't want to stop. But all right, so, so I'm going to take you back to the, the, to the 2019 class in South Carolina, right? And I don't know how good any of these guys are ultimately going to be at these different schools. But, you know, Carolina got Zach Pickens and Cam Smith, who I think I think Cam Smith's going to be pretty good. Um, you know, th- that was the year Tion Evans got uh, placed in a, a junior college. Um, obviously, we think he's going to be good. I don't know. I don't know if he's uh, – I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be a guy Carolina gets back in on or not if Jay Graham comes in. All right, so so we got that. We, we got Cam Smith. Shamar McCollum went to Wake Forest. Now, we'll see how good he ends up being at Wake. Um, I haven't looked him up yet. Let me look him up. Shamar McCollum. They liked him a lot. So, we'll see. Shamar McCollum, Wake. How is he doing? He played, you know, 11 games as a true freshman, 14 tackles. Not bad. Um, You know, so you go on down the list, you got uh, Dallas Corbett, a DN that went to UCF, Keyshawn, Tony, Xavier, Leggett. Luke Deal's actually playing at Auburn. That's a surprise. Kendrell Flowers could have been a slot receiver from Irmo. Um, Darius Williams from Hemingway that went to Middle Tennessee is going to be really good. Uh, Michael Duke certainly is playing well at Clemson. Uh, Cooper Dawson up at Syracuse, I'm not sure about. Ventrell Cypress doing well at Duke. Storm Duck is starting at North Carolina and playing pretty well. Um, you know, you go on down. Uh, and my point of all this is you, you go down the list in 2019, and, and the number 34 player in the state, Jimmy Fritchie, signed with Nebraska. Number 29, Zion Nelson signed with Miami. You know, so, so they're, they're big-time programs coming in, you know, sort of picking guys off. I mean, you know, Nicholas Sheets from Greenwood signed with Washington State. Joe Irvin uh, at Kansas State uh, is a guy that, that the Wildcats came in and, and took. So, I, you know, I, I just – I don't know, you know. Uh, the, the Joe Irvin thing is just kind of like – I don't know. You know, I don't know what to think. You know, he 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 played as a true freshman uh, at K-State uh, and played pretty well. Uh, you know, I don't know what uh, what he's doing right now, but um, certainly, it, you know, I don't see any stats from him. Let me let me just let me just look this up. Let me just look this up. No stats in 2020. Well, wait a minute. Yes. Wait a minute. That's 2019, 2019, I think. Yeah, that's 2019, not 2020. I think – anyway, you guys don't want to hear me do that. But, look, the point is there are players that come out of the state. There's enough in the state, I think, to build a chunk of a roster. And you can do it a lot of ways too, man. You you can have a robust walk-on program with guys from in the state – uh, you know, where you can kind of continue to evaluate, uh, you know, you can make an emphasis on South Carolina kids. I mean, my, my theory would always be if, if it's close upside wise, in other words, you know, the kid from Georgia may be a more polished player, but you put him on the clock. He's six foot 175, consistently runs four six, but a little bit better route runner, not a, not a, not a bunch belt, but you know, you got to draw the line at some point, maybe a little bit better route runner, a little more polished, a little bigger, more physical kid. And then six foot 173 South Carolina kids hanging four, four up all the time. 
but he's a little sloppy on his routes and, you know, all that good stuff. And maybe hasn't filled out physically. I'm going with South Carolina. I, I, that, that is the called the rule of being, if you're close, when in doubt, stay in state. When in doubt, stay in state. I don't know that that was always the case with Muschamp and company. I, I think they did a lot better than Spurrier and company in terms of, of combing the Carolinas, both Carolinas. But, but I don't know about in-state. You know, I, I think in-state, you know, you, you sort of look at it specifically with the wide receiver position, and you, you're like, my goodness. You, you know, Jalen Hyatt, uh, as, as much as it was like wait and see if he turns out, you know, and this is a year you took most of the top players in-state. Jalen Hyatt's a guy you could have used this year. Send him on a niner out and chuck up the ball. You know, I don't know how Ty Lee Craft is going to end up doing at North Carolina, but, you know, there's another guy that, that, that North Carolina obviously thought, you know, this kid's pretty good and um, took him. And so, you know, I, uh, you know, he's out of Sumter. And, and so I don't, I don't know that I don't see any stats on him this year, but six, four guy that can run. Uh, you keep going on down Stan Ellis. Uh, from App State, I thought out of Gaffney, I thought somebody somewhere should have watched Gaffney and said, "Okay, this guy is a pretty big playmaker uh, for the for a great program in the state." You know, he's a D back right now, I think up there. But you know, I I don't know. I, my guess is Stan Ellis is going to end up being pretty good. Lavelle Davis from Virginia, the kid from Woodland. I mean, I, you know, I don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how you miss this guy, 6'6", 215, and he's been ACC uh, freshman of the week or receiver of the week. You can keep going on and on and on. You know, Buddy Mack, the place for Pitt. Uh, you know, Dalen Wright uh, from uh, Saluda that went to Virginia Tech, 150 yards of state championship game. You know, these are the type of guys – you, you got to go get, you know, you can't just sit there and, and be like, Oh, well, we, you know, we're full or whatever and be as selective within the state. If you're South Carolina, because these kids normally hit uh, and, and these, you know, the lower rated guys from the state. Now and I'm not saying you take everybody, you got to evaluate them fully, but, but I, you know, what's the difference between, you know, I mean, obviously you took Mike Wyman from North Carolina, but didn't take the kid from, from Dorchester. Obviously you took, you know, Jerkari Caldwell, who I would have taken, or Rico Powers, who, you know, has not been healthy, so let's not write him off. But you took them but did not take Jalen Hyatt, you know. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I think that that's one of the keys for Beamer uh, in terms of, of recruiting. I mean, that's just kind of that's just kind of how it should be. Uh, and, you know, Virginia Tech was a lot better off as a program when they just decided, look, you know, we're going to get everybody we can from within the state. Uh, they call it Tech, but it's really the State University of Virginia. You know, just like University of South Carolina is University of South Carolina because uh, UVA is kind of a different thing. Um, so I think you got to start there and then – pick off pieces elsewhere. You know, I think you got to have a good base uh, and then pick off pieces elsewhere. And, and I think you got to make sure that the kids in state are thoroughly evaluated to where if they go someplace else, you know, and you're struggling and crappy at a position that you don't look like terrible because that's what, that's how it looks this year at receiver. All right. I'm going to continue to roll on. Andrew says, JC, any chance Beamer hires Ellis Johnson or Brad Long for his staff? We had a lot of success for recruiting and developing talent when they were both here. I really enjoy your podcast. Thanks for all you do for us Gamecock fans. I, I can see one or the other, probably one being off the field in an off-the-field role. Um, I think that, uh, you know, probably Ellis would be more likely than Brad at this point. But uh, I could certainly see that happening. Uh, I, th I think, and I, I agree with you totally. Both were very valuable evaluators. Uh, they both have forgotten more about football than most of us will ever know, uh, and uh, certainly could be an asset to a young coach like like Shane Beamer. Noah says this 
This is probably the only question not about Beamer, but how do you think the coaches will balance playing time between Kevin Harris and Marshawn Lloyd next season? I think both backs can be stars if Lloyd is healthy. Also, would this leave Fenwick or Amos out as odd man with no playing time? Keep up the great work. We always need depth at running back. Um, I, I think, you know, to me, Deshaun Fenwick could be on the field a lot more, depending on what exactly happens at receiver at sort of an H-back type spot. You know, Carolina's got some guys like that. Fenwick is like that. Kevion Mullins is like that. Uh, Jaheim Bell is like that. Um, and probably all those guys are pretty good. Um, you know, where you're catching it, you're running it, all that good stuff. But, I, I you know, uh, as far as that goes with Lloyd and Harris, I, I think, he, you know, most schools split carries these days. And um, I think that's good for both of them, good for both their health, good for both their NFL careers or potential NFL careers. So uh, I think that could be uh, – it's an interesting thing to have, but also keep in mind, you know, if you're sitting at third team running back, you, you don't you don't need to be transferred in the preseason because these guys get banged up and hurt, and then all of a sudden it's a two man game. You know, look at Rashad Amos. Colin says, "What's up, JC? It's Colin. What do you think about the snub of Karen Harris for the Doak Walker Award? I think that speaks to the irrelevance that has uh, been." quietly building with South Carolina football the last few years. I, I, I think it sucks, quite frankly. Um, he said, normally I wouldn't care, but his stats are far and away better than that of Isaiah Spiller, and he did it with the worst offensive line. Spiller's a finalist. Yep, they're winning at A&M, though. He's got 10 more touchdowns and higher yards per carry. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I Colin, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Um, you asked me kind of what I thought. I think it sucks. But if you want to know why, that that's probably why. But yeah, I think I think Kevin Harris is probably the least talked about superstar in college football. And again, you know, think about these things sometimes. You know, I'm gonna start calling this from now on the Mukwamu factor. You know, when they watch uh, when they watch uh, one game against a really good team, and maybe the stats aren't there. You know, like opening weekend, right, you know, against Tennessee. Harris was a mod, modest 13 carries for 55 yards in that one, primetime game, you know. Um, I, I think in the Florida game, you know, it, maybe had they been in it and not fallen behind, people would have taken notice because he got 100. But, uh, you know, sometimes people don't watch every game and they go with like, oh, well, in this big game, this happened, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I've seen that happen a whole lot. So, anyway. All right, guys. That's been a big-time episode of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. It's free to subscribe to the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. You, you don't pay anything. They just send you, like, a little notification. Um, if you want to uh, hit us up on the mailbag, it's at the Big Spur Pod or – inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. I'll be back tomorrow as we roll right along during the first week of the Shane Beamer era at South Carolina. This is J.C. Sherbert. Hope everybody has a wonderful day. Holla at you soon.